Hey everybody, this is Jerry Wan, your host of Dear Asian Americans. And I wanted to take a break uh, just for a little bit from sharing important Asian American origin and identity stories to share a conversation that I had earlier today uh, with Dr. Paul Song, who is a radiation oncologist based here in Southern California, who is also extremely involved with our community, Asian American community here locally as well. Uh, so I wanted to have him on the show and share with you our conversation on his latest take on what's been going on both here and globally, some tips that we can share um, for ourselves and with our family members, uh, particularly our parents and our elderly family and community members to keep them safe, and um, just his thoughts about uh, what's been going on. So um, I hope everybody is staying safe out there. Um, wash your hands, limit your large gatherings, um, stay home if you can. And um, yeah, I just wanted to have this conversation with Paul um, to share this with you. So hope you enjoy. Um, please let us know in the comments or email me, jerry at theyearasianamericans.com. Um, if you have questions, um, if you want to reach out to Paul directly, please let me know after the video. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Paul Song. So I want to introduce you to Dr. Paul Song. He's a radiation oncologist. And um, on this special edition of the The Asian American Show, um, I wanted to bring on an expert, a medical expert, you know, who can share with, uh, share with us his thoughts on what is going on, not only from a medical perspective of the pandemic that it is, but also what things we can do from a response perspective, uh, both locally in our own homes and communities, wherever you may be listening, and as a country. Um, and I know that we have some listeners from outside of the United States. So, you know, I, I just wanted this to be a, you know, more of a global conversation. Um, you know, Dr. Paul is somebody I've known for a very long time and respect, and he is respected in the medical community. Um, also, you know, very active in our Asian American community as well. So, um, Dr. Paul, I just wanted to say thank you for making time on such short notice to join us today. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so it's, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Um, so to put things in the context, you know, uh, yesterday evening, uh, President Trump uh, spoke to the, uh, the nation from the Oval Office, which is a pretty rare occurrence. And, um, you know, the travel ban from uh, most of Europe was instituted. Um, you know, there are things that are happening that are causing a little bit more concern. Um, so, you know, uh, more notable people, um, some NBA players have gotten the disease or have been confirmed to be positive. Um, NBA is done for the season. There's so many things that are now, I think, are more real life affecting um, than maybe some of us um, thought maybe even a week ago. So from your perspective of where you're sitting of observing um, from a medical perspective, um, what, what is the situation that we should be concerned about now? And what are we looking at it as we look through the weekend? I think certainly in the immediate short term, we have to be very concerned about how this affects our own loved ones, uh, particularly if we've got uh, senior citizens in our family, uh, they are by far at the greatest risk. So really, uh, being careful and protective of our immediate families is the first thing. And then also us as a community really trying to come together and realize that this is not a, you know, right versus left issue, that this is really something where instead of attacking one another, we, this hopefully could be something that unites us and brings us closer together. Instead of focusing on hoarding toilet paper and things of that nature, maybe we should also look at uh, caring for those people that uh, may be by themselves. Uh, so one example is, I've been hearing particularly among the Asian American community is a lot of seniors live by themselves or in assisted living facilities where they no longer have access to 
their friends and family because of the um, uh, quarantines that a lot of these places are having in terms of letting outsiders come in. So uh, one is being finding ways to actively reach out to these people who are living alone uh, to find out what their particular needs are. You may not be able to go visit them directly, but there may be things that you can have them sent, uh, care packages of some sort. Um, so I would say those are the immediate things. Uh, and the biggest concern, I have an 88-year-old mom who I know that if she's exposed to this could be the end of her. So I think each and every one of us probably has somebody we identify with that. And, and I would say that's the immediate priority. The good thing about this illness so far is that it doesn't seem to be affecting kids. Uh, so that is an area that maybe we are, uh, have to be less vigilant on other than making sure that they wash their hands and, and uh, carry out good hygiene. But really it's the seniors in our family and the people over 65 that we really have to make sure uh, if they're not taking precaution that we really force them to do that. So within the Korean American community, I would say a lot of our parents uh, will go to a Bible study or to a church no matter what. And even that I would really recommend. I told my mom, uh, she really cannot go to a public place like that. Uh, and that she will have to find other ways to nourish her soul. Uh, and that God will understand. But, but, but really, I would say the most immediate thing is for us to really be uh, vigilant with the seniors and our, uh, our loved ones. So question about that, because I, I have a par you know, parents who are, who are nearby in LA that is drivable, but they're in their 60s and um, you know, with not perfect health conditions, um, as many of our parents are, unfortunately. Um, are, are we talking like, tell them to stay home and you know, figure out ways to have food and things delivered to them? Um, I, I say that because I, I think there is a, a comfort level in knowing, oh, it's just a supermarket down the street, um, but also in particular pockets of um, high density immigrant communities, um, people are still coming in from Asia and you know, um, they may not be, be being fully vetted or tested. Um, so you don't know, you know, you go to the supermarket or wherever, um, you don't know who you're going to be in contact with. And I guess as a follow-up, if we were to start ordering food completely online or, you know, doing Prime Now or even dropping off stuff for our parents, you know, topical concerns of the actual things versus, you know, if, if we're not doing human to human contact, but, right. you know, do we wipe down cartons of milk at this point? How, how do we do that? Well, one of the things that a lot of, uh, I think, stores are going to eventually Im implement is to have gloves that if you're going to go touch the fruit or vegetables that you're going to have to wear gloves before that. I think that with regard to milk and a lot of those containers, uh, they've been refrigerated for some period of time and, and there may not be the risk there. But getting back to your parents, I think it, you know, not every 65-year-old is the same, right? You have some that are very robust. Uh, but let's say if one of your parents has a history of smoking and has uh, developed bronchitis on numerous occasions, that's the type of person that I think is at high risk that if they got infected, they could really run into big problems since the primarily uh, the biggest cause of damage is to the lungs. So I think you have to put everything within some context. Uh, the reason we say 65 and older is if you look at where the death rates have spiked, it is just in that population. But but again, there are some very robust 65-year-olds who are probably healthier than a lot of 40-year-olds, and we're not saying all of them need to do that. Uh, the biggest thing I would say for anyone listening is look at your own immediate health. If you are showing any fever and cough, uh, you should um, uh, really go get checked. 
Um, the coronavirus generally is uh, associated with uh, really bad fever and cough. But if you don't have a fever, then chances are you may just have the flu or you may just have a bacterial bronchitis. It's people that have a persistently high fever because again, most adults, why would we get fevers? Kids get them with ear infections and things. But for us adults, if you ask, uh, when was the last time you had a fever? It's really hard to remember, right? So I would say that anybody who is an adult who has a fever and uh, even just a trace cough, they need to go get checked out. Um, the, the other problem is we as a country, the United States is woefully unprepared at this moment to test for this. Um, to put in perspective, Korea, which has a population of only 50 million, so one seventh roughly of ours, is doing more tests per day than we can in the United States right now. So even if your people watching this feel like they have the symptoms, so there's no guarantee they're gonna able, be able to find a site that, that has a test. Uh, the second thing though, is if you do indeed have a temperature and have a cough and suspect you might have this, the last thing you should be doing is home isolation uh, because you are uh, really exposing your uh, family members um, to this. And that's really how this uh, virus is spreading more so than people going out into public spaces. It's people infecting their family members who then go out into public spaces and it, and it multiplies. So I really think the first thing people need to wear, uh, be aware of, uh, if you don't have a, a temperature there, and you feel sick, chances are you don't have the coronavirus. And, and so say more about that, because some of the concern out there, and uh, we've heard stories from Italy about, you know, having um, doctors having to make really tough choices on, on who stays and who doesn't get to stay. Um, what, what is your thought on, you know, uh, being precautious and at the first sign of anything, um, doing what we would normally believe to be the right thing and go uh, make an appointment or go sit in an ER waiting room or whatnot. Um, but also that poses risks to what I'm also hearing from friends and hospitals that are, the systems are already clogged. You know, if you, what, how do we judge that? Like, should we go versus, is, is it the better public health to not clog the system? So, so there's this fine line between panic, overreaction, and then being proactive, right? Uh, the, the problem with our current uh, healthcare system and the way the government has responded up to now is we don't have dedicated testing centers like you see in China and Korea. So when if you feel you have this and indeed you do and you walk into an ER, you're now exposing the entire uh, right. staff there uh, to to coronavirus. So um, I'm hopeful that in the next two or three weeks, we the the government and the health authorities realize this is much more serious uh, and, and start to set up uh, testing centers that are dedicated to doing that. So like in countries like Korea and China, you have these drive up stations right. where the healthcare workers are fully gowned and protected, and then they can do a rapid test there. And then um, if you are positive, immediately put you in a quarantine in a public place, we need to start setting up, um, you know, gymnasiums and, things of that nature specifically to quarantine people and take them away from their own family members. You don't let them go back to their house and say, wait for your results. Uh, you know, those are the types of things that we need to do. Uh, and, and really, I would say, put it in the perspective of, it, while everyone thinks this started in China and now uh, there's this fear, you can say that China and Korea are the two countries that are actually being lauded for the response to coronavirus, where countries like Italy and the United States are 
largely being uh, criticized and rightfully so for their woeful response up to now. Um, let me just tell you what they've done in, in China and Korea. So uh, other than the drastic, you know, um, closing cities up and things of that nature, they've been very active and basically anyone who is a temperature is immediately tested for the coronavirus. Uh, they will sometimes do chest first for the flu or even do a chest CT scan to make sure they don't have a bronchial pneumonia uh, caused by bacteria or the influenza. But they also will then go do the testing. And if as soon as they test positive, they don't even have the option to go back to their house to get things. They're immediately sent to a facility with other people that have also tested positive. Now, for those people that develop severe respiratory illnesses and things of that nature, that may require admission to a special area where you have uh, uh, ventilators and all of the necessary treatments. But the problem that our uh, U.S. system has been saying is um, go home and self-isolate. And chances are a lot of people don't live at home by themselves. Right. So that's not really self-isolation. Secondly, uh, it gets back to a lot of people don't have proper insurance and they have high copays and deductibles. You heard the president yesterday say that he was going to work with insurance companies to waive those uh, copays and deductibles for the testing. Uh, and maybe that will allow people to then go and get the test that they need if they think they have it. But you had roughly a four-week span where a lot of people may have been exposed, but because they simply didn't have good insurance and they had a $200, $250 copay, they didn't go to the emergency room or the doctor to get tested. And as a result, for the last three or four weeks, they've been walking around infecting other people. And we may now see the, the problems of that. So Overall, our response has been quite poor, uh, but it's not to say that we collectively as a community can't start to come together to, to make, make this better. Um, you know, as far as self-quarantining, uh, I would say this, you see sometimes with kids in daycare, you drop your kid off in daycare and there's another kid there with a runny nose and you're like, why did his parents let him come? Um, because chances are his parents didn't have another option to take care of him, they had to go to work. Um, what I would say to everyone here, not so much for your kids, but as soon as you feel the sniffles, a cough, as soon as you feel any symptoms, the last thing you need to be doing is exposing your workers, coworkers, or your staff to that. So, you know, at our company, we've instituted policies that the minute you feel that, just take sick leave and, and we'll take you at your word because it's better to be proactive. With regard to our community, in terms of how we support small businesses and things of that nature, I think we should try our best. If you really feel good, go use hand sanitizer, keep your uh, hands clean, avoid touching your face, but really go and, and support, the, support the community. But if you do feel the slightest bit run down, chances are you probably do have the flu, not the coronavirus. But if you're going into public places, into a H Mart, then you really are putting the community at harm. So I think there has to be common sense on that end as well. Um, speak to you a little bit about your colleagues in the medical profession. Um, I have some in my family, um, so it, it's very personal to me. Um, doctors, lawyers, doctors, nurses, uh, pharmacists, and, and the like are almost being um, asked, not only asked to, but assumed to, um, you know, fulfill your duty and, and go to the front lines and give it all you can. Um, but those people have families and then those people have, you know, parents and um, maybe them, they themselves are, you know, um, weaker immune system than ideal. Um, you know, 
Uh, how, how do we encourage our, our fellow medical professionals now? Well, I think, um, again, uh, our government was woefully uh, unprepared. So a lot of hospitals, there's shortages of the N95 masks. There's shortages of um, respirators and ventilators. Uh, so <clears throat> this, is, this is a real problem. If you look at what happened in China with the first doctor to blow the whistle, he was only in his 30s. He said, this is a serious problem. He was so dedicated to taking care of patients, he ended up getting infected and dying. I do think that precautions are being taken at hospitals. Now, I worry about the sole practitioner, doctor and his nurses, who have somebody come in through the door, uh, who then exposes their staff and they maybe didn't have uh, the proper masking and things of that nature. So I do think that there is a real risk. Uh, I would just say to any healthcare professional or people who are at a higher risk of being exposed to um, uh, people who are infected, whether it be you know, firefighters, paramedics, things of that nature, um, they really do need to take more precautions. Uh, you're seeing more doctors uh, asked to do um, uh, consults over the phone, whether it be FaceTime or a, a Zoom app like this. Um, and, and I think that's going to become the new norm. Uh, but until our government and the healthcare officials set up dedicated testing areas, sadly, you're going to have people who get sick who are going to go straight to the ER and bring those viruses, uh, bring the virus actually into the hospital, exposing all these people. So again, our response up to now has been pretty bad. Uh, but it's better late than never, and, and, and hopefully you'll see rapid action in the next uh, coming days, because uh, as, as Dr. Fauci, uh, Anthony Fauci uh, uh, from the NIH said, this is going to become a big, big problem. I mean, we're going to see tens of millions of people in the United States come down with this infection. The good thing is, as more people are diagnosed, we're seeing the overall mortality rate is actually probably going to come down. Right now, it's estimated between you know one and a half to three and a half percent. But the the issue is not enough people have been tested, and I think if you really looked at the total number of people infected, it would probably be closer to one percent. But to put it in perspective, um, the flu basically kills one out of one thousand, whereas this would, right now is killing ten to twenty times more than the flu. Uh, so that's the real problem. I think there were some concerns that you know just even myself of. I think for a long time, the narrative um, here in the States was, you know, don't worry, we don't have that many confirmed cases. Then, you know, as, 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 a, as a scientist and as a data person, it's like, well, if you don't test them, you don't find them. And if you don't find them, you don't report them. Um, so I, I do hope that we get to a point, you know, will we ever know the true number? Uh, we hope so. Um, but, you know, with the, with the challenges of testing, um, you know, I, I think the state of Colorado has instituted some form of uh, drive-through testing um, late yesterday, early this morning, um, to try to you know uh, learn from what the other countries are doing who are getting better at this. Um, but man, you're, you're seeing schools shut down. Um, you know, one of the things that I think are um, is, is a concern in our own community. Um, I, I spoke to a student who's uh, from LA, uh, but at the University of Pennsylvania, um, first generation student, um, freshman, and he got an email from the school saying you have 72 hours to leave, you can go home. And he said, I don't have money to go home. So, you know, even outside of the things that are top of mind for us, um, this is impacting our community in ways that we, we don't even think to right now. Um, you know, 
putting putting on your um, community leader and and you know dad hat, um, how how are you getting through this as, as a human being outside of being a doctor? Well, we just found out that our kids' schools have, have closed, um, like many others right now. Um, you know, fortunately, we have great family support. <clears throat> my uh, mom and my mother-in-law live close by, um, and we are fortunate enough to be able to have a, a nanny uh, to, to get through this. But that's the problem, right? And if you look specifically at the Korean community, a lot of these people are small business owners that, you know, spend 15 plus hours a day at the store um, who, who don't really have health insurance, um, who uh, have never taken a day off because they just can't afford to. Uh, and now they're seeing their marginal uh, salaries dry up because people are not showing up at their stores. Uh, people are not going out uh, and there's no safety net for these people. Um, and so one of the things I think we need to advocate for is to speak to our local representatives. Um, it's interesting, the Democrats recently wanted to uh, uh, set aside funds for sick leave uh, and particularly for small business owners and uh, to expand Medicaid because a lot of these people don't have health insurance uh, to, so then they could go get tested. Um, but you're already seeing sort of this uh, divide. And I'm not trying to be political here, but it is really unfortunate that you're talking about bailouts for the airline industry, but you're not talking, which, which is okay, but you call it, you know, some degree of, of welfare or socialism for these hardworking small business owners or people in the gig economy, right, that are working for, working as an Uber driver or, um, you know, one of these part-time workers. Um, so I think because so many members of our community fall into those areas, that we as a community at large should really be calling our congressmen and women, our senators, and demanding that they take action to really um, <clears throat> take care of these people right now in their time of need. Uh, I can say specific, especially, you know, with regard to Orange County, uh, there are so many uh, Asian American small business owners that are going to really reach financial ruin if this drags on much longer, which is quite possible. So I think those are steps as, as, as we as a community can do, um, you know, and that we really are, should consider this all in together. Uh, perhaps we may even start to need to do some sort of community uh, fundraising to help these people uh, because this is, this, is, this is a real devastating impact that's gonna, we're going to see, uh, unlike uh, we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, I, th I think it's, you know, um, we, we learning, we're learning so much new information every day that changes our perspective and stance. And uh, what, what I am glad about is that I think more and more people are, are at least um, accepting that this could be a, a larger thing than we ever have known. So um, I, I think that's good. You know, in L.A., I just read this morning that uh, one of the city councilmen um, had proposed a, you know, um, some sort of a fund for businesses in his district to help them pay rent, um, you know, so. I, I think there's a lot of different ways that we can help small businesses get through. Obviously, you know, this is such a, a cyclical effect. You know, if you're not making money and you're staying home, then you can't go buy food and which impacts the restaurant and they can't pay their, so it's this, this never ending vicious cycle, it seems. Um, but hopefully, you know, things like, you know, maybe it's helping um, commercial landlords with their, you know, mortgages or on that back end so that it, you know, provides some relief. Um, you know, we've all read that in Italy, they've paused mortgage payments for the whole country. 
Um, I'm, I'm not certainly optimistic that we would see that here. Um, just the impact and the scale of that is, is apparently, you know, daunting, but um, I, I do hope, and I do, you know, appreciate you for, you know, encouraging us to reach out to, you know, our, our people that we've elected into office to help us in times like this um, and good or bad, there are multiple agencies and multiple layers of the American government system, local to state to federal that I think, um, you know, we have to trust in those people who've sworn to help people in times like this to do the right thing. Um, you know, this week in the past couple of weeks has been really challenging for a lot of us um, because of a lot of the racist attacks. Um, just yesterday, just random Korean woman walking into a building was punched in her face asking, you know, in expletives, where's your mask? Um, you know, so I, I want to say this, um, and I get happy to take your thoughts on it, you know, whether you're Asian American or not, um, using this or anything else as a um, excuse to be racist or to make light of the situation is, is not acceptable. Um, not only is it not acceptable, I ask you if you're watching this or hearing this, say something. Um, if your friends are posting funny quote unquote memes about um, race-based um, coronavirus things, call them out, ask them to take it down. Um, it's not funny. Um, people getting physically attacked. Um, you know, I actually want to take a moment to shout out Benny at uh, Next Shark, whose team has been working tirelessly to report and, um, you know, collect stories that I, you know, ha we've seen um, do so much good already, particularly with the older gentleman in San Francisco. Um, but, you know, we need everybody in times like this to say something, um, particularly, um, and, and I'll make a ask to all of my non-Asian American friends, or our allies and our friends, our bystanders, um, say something because, you know, it may actually mean a lot more coming from you, because um, this is, not a foreign virus. This is not a particular country virus. Um, this will impact anybody. Um, you know, skin, religion, doesn't matter. Um, it's unfortunate. But yesterday when two high profile Hollywood actors shared that they had it, some people said, oh, wow, it's really serious. Or when the NBA suspended their season, they said, oh, you know, um, with a little bit of humor, oh, sucks. You know, I can't watch basketball, but I guess it's really serious. And I, I, I wonder you know, what is it going to take for all of us to be collectively on the same page um, to, to stop traveling, to cancel events, um, for pastors to unilaterally say, no church this Sunday. Um, it's not worth it. Um, so I, it's, I, I don't have any of the answers. Um, you know, I don't think any of us does, but uh, we, we can care and, and we can use empathy and kindness as, as fellow human beings. Um, again, like you said, um, Dr. Song, it's not about um, politicizing anything. But at the end of the day, um, sort of the, the, the last line of defense is the worst insured person in the country. And if we look at it from that perspective, um, and, and you, can, you can hide in your mansion or your fancy high-rise tower, but you know what? People deliver food there. Um, people who work the front door or the, the bellhop, they're not, you know, have the same insurance as you. So um, I, I am optimistic, um, ever so optimistic, even through all this, that this is good for the community that we've um, through very challenging and even more upcoming challenging times that um, may maybe our uh, empathy muscles will be shaken a little bit. I think those are wonderful words. And I, and, and my hope is that, you know, in a country that's so divided right now, in some respects in a world that's so divided, that we could potentially come together and solve this together rather than uh, pit each other against each other. Um, one thing I would just say is that, 
people should not lose uh, hope uh, as much as this is going to cause some harm uh, in the next coming months. Uh, we can see by the success that China and Korea have had at, at containing this and greatly reducing it, put in perspective, at its peak, um, China was uh, reporting 3,500 cases a day. Two days ago, it reported less than 30 cases a day. Uh, so we know that they and Korea have a good handle on how to control this and how to eventually burn it out. Um, I think our country could learn a lot from that and hopefully they follow suit. I also hope that, um, again, regardless of where people are on the aisle, that this will uh, realize that, you know, we're all in this together and this virus is not going to discriminate from, you know, whether or not you're a Republican or Democrat, rich or poor. It's, it's going after everyone. Awesome. Um... I want to thank you again for taking the time. Uh, you know, the ask came less than 48 hours ago, and um, you, you were willingly happy to come and come and share your thoughts with us. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds for us in terms of how this is going to impact our community, um, but you know, I, I think in this moment where a lot of us don't even know who to believe anymore, or you know, um, you know, thoughts about media and you know, um, pundits aside. Um, to, to hear from somebody who is not only going through it as, as a doctor observing the situation from a medical lens, um, but as a parent, as a husband, um, as a son of elderly parents, and um, as somebody who cares deeply about our community and has shown it um, for a lot of your life. Um, I just want to say thank you for sharing your thoughts. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if we'll be forced to make this a regular thing um, and if we have to continue to check in. I, I hope that it is not the case. And um, but you know, it's a particularly trying time for a lot of us from a number of different angles. So um, appreciate the work that you do. Um, you know, hope you get some rest and continue the good fight. Well, thank you for all you're doing to, to bring attention to this uh, and uh, educating our community. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul.